We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. Hello, my name is Gina, and my sobriety date is January 1st, 2002. I just turned 20 years sober a few days ago. I'm originally from California, and my home group was Thursdays in Sunset Beach and many other meetings in the Long Beach area. My sponsor is Robin. I now live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm still sober, and this is uh, my story. So I started drinking and when I was probably about, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there, and I would just kind of, when I would go to parties, uh, my aunts or whoever, when we had parties when we were younger, take a little sip here, take a little sip there. Not really drinking, drinking, but, you know, just having a little taste here. I was always kind of a little devious. I was smart. I always got good grades in school, but I was always kind of on the on the wild side, I think. <laughs> always encouraging my good friends to be bad, for lack of a better word, or do things. My I grew up in uh, Santa Fe Springs, California. It's a little town, and with my uh, lived in the house with my grandfather, my mother, my aunt, my two cousins. My dad was always in and out of jail and wasn't really allowed at my house where I lived at with my grandfather and my my mother. I think that you know the the lack of his presence and just some of the the drama that went around went with the the father figure that I had. He was always into something and you know selling drugs or doing this or doing that kind of made me rebel a little bit or maybe a lot. I think I wanted him and didn't want him at the same time. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, and I acted out. I was very, so all these things are, are again, part of my story. I was very promiscuous at a young age. And I think that some of the things that happened to me in my life made me feel ashamed and bad and alcohol and drugs kind of made it go away for a little while. When I was, my mom was uh, young. I mean, not too young. I think she had me when she was 19. My dad was 16 when I was born. So, I mean, no wonder they, they were kids themselves. He was always cheating on my mom. And my mom was always like crying. And I mean, not always. She worked and she was very stable. And she was like the the rock in my family with my, along with my grandfather, who was very, a very good man and very religious and very honest. And so I was lucky that I grew up in a house with him, but my dad would come and sometimes my mom would leave with him and then she'd come back and she would be like hurt, like if he hit her or something. And so then I would get all shooken up. And I remember being very like nervous when I was a kid, kind of, I think, I think nervous for her safety 
And so again, I started again, just very promiscuous with different. And I think that was because I just wanted an attachment to like a male figure. And so with that came drinking and smoking marijuana. And I remember when I was like, I don't know, 12, like in the backyard of my house underneath the lemon tree with my boyfriend and friend or whoever. And they were, maybe we even had a little tent pitched in the backyard or something like that. And we were going in there and having, they were like rolling joints with cocaine in them. I forgot what they called them back in the days, but things like that. And I was young, you know, and I look back on my life now and thinking, oh my God, I was such a little kid and doing such crazy things at a young age. Going to like the liquor store with my friends when I was maybe, you know, 15 and asking them to people to buy us uh, Strawberry Hill wine, I think was a thing or, Oh God, I don't remember what they're called anymore. There's these like, I can't remember the name, but these other alcoholic things that weren't beer. There was something else that was in style back then in the eighties, but just always drinking and, you know, doing things and staying out late, you know, it's like 13 years old and coming home at two in the morning or things like that. And then my mom would like yell at me and make me clean all night and punish me and then I'd do it again the next weekend, you know, just kind of doing whatever I wanted. But but I always got like good grades in school. I was a cheerleader. Like I led a true double life for as long as I can remember. It was, you know, it started really young and that's just how I was. I got Again, I had my cheerleader outfit on some days and I was going to practice and I was like, a, you know, again, getting getting good grades. And then by night, I was like this other person like that would, you know, get into mischief and do all these things. <clears throat> and the drinking and the and the drugs helped. Um, some other things that kind of happened to me. And again, this is, you know, I don't know that these things um, made me an alcoholic, but they definitely made me want to like numb the pain when I was like I think nine my mom my mom never left me really with anybody but this one time she needed I don't know know why but she asked these next door neighbor family to take care of me and there was like these two brothers and they were like probably like 19 and 17 they asked me to like one of them like was trying to like coerced me to kind of like lay down next to him and then he was like touching me and inappropriate and you know trying to do stuff with me and I remember being like so scared and so so like just uncomfortable and I wanted to run but I was like too afraid so things like that like that happened and just like a another time I think when I was 12 I was um, raped by this guy that was like 19 in the back of a car by the train station in the city that I grew up with. And and again, those things made me feel shameful, Wanted made me like want to drink, do drugs and, and set this kind of like spiral in place for me. And then and then in addition to that, my, you know, my dad was always kind of gone and coming and going and in and out of prison. And I, and he, um, he died when I was, uh, he died when I turned, when I was 18 in a police chase. 
he uh, went through the window of a truck and lived like, I think, two days after that accident. And then um, we had gotten to the hospital and he died probably like minutes after we had seen him. But that kind of ended the abuse with my mother, which was a good thing because so she was brokenhearted, but she wasn't like, you know, treated terribly. And again, I mean, he was a very handsome, charismatic man. So she loved him regardless of what he did. But from a kid's perspective, like I was always kind of uh, fearful of him, but loved him at the same time. So I just, you know, I remember, um, I think I stopped smoking marijuana when I was 18 because I was, I remember sitting in the back steps of my house in Whittier and I was going to college at the time and I was reading a paragraph and I read it like four times and couldn't remember what I read. So I decided to give up marijuana, which was probably a good thing, but that was kind of like at the height of like cocaine. And so that I, I picked up that instead. I had this boyfriend that I had for years. Well, he was like my main boyfriend because I always had like a, a him and a backup him, if that makes, you know. And so he was my, um, I met him when I was 12 years old. We went to like this little, after this place in, uh, in Santa Fe Springs to this, center where youths could go whatever I met him there and again be he was like my partner in crime till I was about 28 I kind of I mean at least from my recollection I think that's kind of where I started doing cocaine with and that was another that kind of you know for me it was like a vicious cycle like do drugs drink to come down do drugs drink to come down do drugs drink you know it was all part of um, of that. I was always, always, as you know, I was always cheating, always had another person I was dating. I was always trying to like, you know, my mom said I was always trying to, um, I would, I would decide which person was the better person to go out with that night based on the offer they were making me. And instead of just saying yes to something, I would be like, like maybe, 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 and then at the last minute picked what I thought was the best thing as opposed to sort of making a decision. So, you know, indecisive about things and men and um, all that stuff. And it just, my boyfriend with the um, the cocaine, you know, selling drugs. I mean, we had, I remember staying at his house with his family, like, you know, I'd spend the night over there all the time. Like, I, I don't even know how I got to do that. But this was, you know, by then I was like 20, maybe 18, 19, 20. I was going to college at Cal State Long Beach. And again, I had this like double life. I was going to school, working full time, and then staying up all night, like drinking and drugging, getting high and doing it all over again for as, you know, as long as I can remember. I remember having to take a leave of absence from college because I just couldn't like focus and I was getting withdrawals from class and not showing up and incompletes. And it was like just um, the cocaine had changed into speed because speed was less expensive and more powerful, I think. And so again, times were changing at that time and 
that's the new habit that we picked up. And I was like, I felt like a, like a lost soul. You know, my, I was living at my boyfriend's house with his family and every night we would like get ready and he would get his like ice chest and put beer in it and get ready to go sell drugs. And then I would just like hit the streets and be going from whoever's house to whoever's house, partying, going with other guys and then meet him at like four in the morning or whenever he got done selling his drugs at some hotel or back at his mom's house and just, you know, do whatever until like the next day and sleep and just do the same thing like over and over and over. It was like, it was, I remember one time driving around in my red Toyota Corolla in um, the neighborhood where, you know, it was between like Santa Fe Springs and Pico Rivera and Whittier. And I would drive in this, you know, like just going to go see different people or whatever the case may be. And, and feeling like it was just, it was just dark, you know, it was dark in the night. I was always out in the night. I felt like a night owl and it's like this different persona, you know, that came out. I remember, you know, just feeling lost and the people that I was interacting with were, you know, at the time again with speed. I mean, there was, it was, it was kind of an awful drug. You know, people get like psychotic on that stuff and going to my boyfriend's friend's house and they would be like, tripping out and in a box thinking someone's going to, you know, hiding in the backyard, thinking someone's going to get them or guys on top of houses like naked with guns because they're just so out of their minds, you know, just like weird things like that were happening, you know? And I was like, um, and then, um, at one point when I was one of those nights, I ended up pulling into this gas station and I had little baggies of drugs bagged up because I was, selling it for my boyfriend whatever and I got pulled over because someone I had that used my car got a ticket in my car and so when they ran I think there was like a unpaid ticket that I didn't even know that was issued I got arrested for possession and sales of um, methamphetamine because I had it bagged up into little bags and they found it and I went to jail it was the only time I've ever been to jail I was there for one night and I had my boyfriend use a, like a bond that my one of my mom's friends has given me for my birthday when I was younger. And I had him like go cash it in so that they can, he can get me out of jail. I remember being in, in that jail cell and thinking, oh, my God, like, what am I doing here? Because in my own head, I was like a college student. I was uh, had a job. I had like, I, you know, um, I, I like had things, right. Still, I wasn't like, and here I am in jail with all these like criminals who were, um, rapping like the Sugar Hill gang song and the thing and trying to tell me what to do if I wasn't going to like, okay, like if you get, if you have to stay here more than one night, you don't get bailed out tomorrow. Make sure you take your toothbrush with you. Make sure you take this, whatever, because you, you don't, you won't get a new one, you know, blah. And they were like telling me like what to do, like to, to live in jail. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like, what is happening to me? Like I saw myself for like a brief moment, like that. And then like any real true alcoholic, like, or whatever you get out and you 
like switch the channel in your head and you're back on again. You know what I mean? And all those thoughts of like the seeing yourself for who you really are, like went away and I just can't went, went right back to what I was doing again. I always um, liked the effect of alcohol, drugs. And for me, I think um, I was probably in my early 20s. And I, I think at, I remember being in this nightclub, Ocean Boulevard and something in Long Beach. And at that time, I lived in, in Belmont Shore. And I was probably like 20 eight or something like that and 25 somewhere around there and this is when like my um I mean it's not when it started but I would say probably when I was like younger I remember stealing like dexatrim from the from the um that's another thing I used to steal a lot of things like when you know throughout my life like lip gloss and just whatever um dexatrim because I thought I was fat or whatever and I wasn't um but I would you know still that stuff. And then just things I was always trying to like get away with something and, um, throwing up. So I would do drugs to stay up and then drink to come down and then throw up from drinking so that I, you know, throw up so that I could empty my stomach and then I could drink more. And that was kind of another, um, cycle that kind of happened with me. So the, the drinking and drugging turned into bitching and purging and the binging and purging turns into like bulimia not I wouldn't say I mean I've had I've heard other people talk about that and I don't know you know I think any bulimia is probably bad but I think some people are definitely worse than you know like but still I did it for many many years and again it but it started with the drinking and the drugs like trying to like balance that out you know I would drink and then throw up so I could drink more and I think that's kind of what started it and then that plus, you know, I don't know, when you kind of, in your innermost feelings, really hate yourself, it's kind of like, you know, I, I was always, always, always like lying and cheating to the people that I dated. And then I would, you know, be up late and eating hamburgers and chili cheese fries and then throw them up because I felt bad. It just, again, it was just like, I, I feel like it was a, like a life of like purging because my insides like hurt so much or my soul you know kind of hurt so much I had to like keep doing that for so long so when I when I turned I remember so how you know I had had um moments like I, I remember one specific moment like I was um in my apartment in Belmont Shore oh yeah that's another thing I moved to Belmont Shore so that I could walk to the bars, right? Because I lived right off of 2nd Street and um, I could just walk like, you know, 10 houses down, make a right on 2nd Street. I could be at Legends. I could be like at any bars that I wanted to. I wouldn't have to drink and drive. And I, you know, remember like being there and, um, you know, one of those nights I had the, the boyfriend that I had since I was young, since I was 12. And and I had another boyfriend too, the backup boyfriend. And I was at my house with my childhood boyfriend and my new boyfriend came to the door and in the morning, like in the morning, knocked on my door, opened, opened the door and he saw the other guy there. And I remember the look on his face was like, I don't know, it was like kind of like um, shock and disgust and sadness all at the same time. 
And I remember like there was like nothing I could say. And for whatever moment, because it's not like I had ever, I had never cheated or, you know, did anybody wrong before. It was a million times before, but that time somehow like hurt my soul because I just felt like one more time I let somebody down or hurt somebody. I almost, it's almost like I saw myself for who I was. And, um, that was, uh, the day, not maybe not the day, but I thought like something's got to change. Um, at this time too, I was always, I was also, I had graduated from college. I was a, a human resource manager and my job, uh, I would go into work at this time, you know, we had CDs, right? We'd put, put things on CDs and put them into your computer. I would be doing lines of drugs on my CDs in my office and then sending other people to rehab, right? When they're, when you're the HR person, you have to send people to drug diversion or whatever for drinking on the job, just all kinds of things. And I really just, I felt like a two-faced because here I am, you know, telling other people, but in my head, I knew what was going on. But that day, um, I remember going to that after I got the other boyfriend gone, you know, I went to his house in Pasadena. I tried to jump in his window. Uh, he wanted like nothing to do with me that next day after, you know, going through all that, I, I remember coming, um, coming home at, you know, because I was an HR person, I had been highlighting things in the benefit plans for like months, like where to get help, what to do, whatever, things like that. Cause I had good benefits at the time. And I called my mom and I told my mom that I was doing drugs and drinking and I couldn't stop and I needed help. Um, and oh yeah. And on the way, but prior to that, I was driving, driving down the um, 710 freeway, going to my job, smoking a marble red in my red Toyota Corolla. And I was listening to uh, the Eagles. I remember, the, you know, and the, and I heard a voice. I mean, not an audible voice, but in my head, it said, tell your mom, your mom will help you. Tell your mom, your mom will help you. And so that night after getting home from work, I called my mom and told her. She came over. She's like, well, I'm going to come over. And then she asked me if I had any drugs. And I told her, no, I lied. Right. She took me out to dinner. And then the next day I checked myself into an outpatient rehab place that I had found. I remember it was like the first time I was honest with my, um, I had a boss. Her name was Christy. I told her that I couldn't work overtime, um, anymore because I was going to go, because I was going to outpatient rehab. And she said, um, no problem. She's like, you know, and I was like, I was honest. She was supportive. And every day for like, I don't know, maybe it was a six month program. I don't remember how long it was, but I just know I had to go like every day from like six to 10. And then like you, you went through like a process. You gradually like went down, you know, like in how many days you had to go and stuff like that. And I stayed, um, I worked steps in there. And then I, I met somebody in, um, in rehab. And then one day, um, so the boyfriend that, that didn't want to see me anymore, that I broke his heart, he, he, he lived in, um, Pasadena. I went to, um, to go like see him. Like he must have started talking to me again. And he was, we were in a, it was like the Rose Bowl time. And I went over there and I had, um, this is after being in rehab for like four months or something. And I drank one drink of a Corona. 
And then that was it, right? And then came home that next day, but it looked like fun. And I remember being like in my apartment thinking, that's where I want to be. I want to be having some fun there. And I drank like one drink. And then the next day, I, you know, I was like, who, who like goes out and on one drink of beer? I'm like, that's ridiculous. And it was like New Year's Eve, right? Because it was like the Rose Bowl and all that stuff was happening. So um, because I lived in Belmont Shore on New Year's Eve night, I went to, because I didn't want to go out and on one, you know, drink of a Corona. So I went to Legends, drank all kinds of shots and got all hammered. And this guy that I had met in rehab came over. He's like, well, if you're going to drink, he's like, I'll, I'll bring you some. And he brought me like a six pack of beer and like that led, like, you know, like turn the hose back on, right? Went to Legends, had all kinds of shots he wasn't drinking, but he was letting me drink, which was kind of ironic. And then um, I ended up the next day on New Year's Day in the Alano Club in Garden Grove. Like, I remember, like, kind of coming to at this hamburger stand, like, in, in Garden Grove. And I was like, where, how did I get here? Like, I had my, you know, I don't even, I think I had, like, pajamas on and some slippers. And I was in a hamburger joint like I don't even know where I was I mean I, I did but I, I was with the guy from rehab but I was like man how'd that happen and uh anyways and then the next day I went to um a meeting at the Garden Grove Alana Cub the guy who bought me the beer from rehab took me to a meeting and um I got an AA book and I think a candle for being like the newest newcomer because I had been drinking till like four in the morning and the meeting was early like at six and so I'd still kind of buzz and that was um like my um sobriety date so um I had already worked some steps and did those things I went you know started going to um Thursdays and to some other clubs like Marina Pacifica just some other clubs in, in Long Beach and they told me to uh, get a sponsor even if it's just um you know, anybody, just anybody. So I got a sponsor and I asked her to, you know, I think I stayed with her for maybe like a year or two. And then I felt like I just needed to get someone else. I was going to this other meeting um, under the bridge in Naples. My sobriety sisters told me like, you were so funny when you, when you came in because you were wearing like a blue Nike jumpsuit and you were roll and I had my rollerblades on because I used to like to rollerblade a lot. So I would skate from my house to the meeting and then like climb up the stairs in my skates and sit in the meeting and then like skate home because I'm ridiculous. And I asked um, one of the ladies there um, who was like a greeter at the time who had a lot of years of sobriety, probably like 20 or something at the time, if she'd be my sponsor. She became my my sponsor and I feel like so blessed that I met her and or she some of her requirements you know she's like you have to go to a meet a speaker meeting every week and then um, you have to go to you have to meet me here at um, every Friday night and I remember being so mad that I had to go meet her every Friday night under the bridge but in hindsight it was like the best thing ever like and then we had like once a month we had to go to her house on the Wednesday nights like the third Wednesday of every month uh, at seven o'clock and so um I just felt 
<clears throat> really um, connected. Like for years, like she, you know, just that's just what we did. And I remember being so mad, like again, still driving my red Corolla over there, listening to the Beastie Boys, thinking, why do I have to go to this friggin' meeting? Like, oh, I was mad, just angry. But I would go anyways because, um, I don't know, because I was, because they told, because she told me to, she told me I had to. And I was afraid that if I didn't, I would go back to the life I had. And I did not want to do that anymore because it felt so miserable inside me. Like I felt like a open sore on the inside, you know? And so I just kept doing what she told me. Me and my sobriety sisters would meet there and she made us get into um, service work. Like we had to do the chili cook off and we had to go, we had to go like, she would, she would give me her, um, the, the, like the, she would go to this women's shelter. Like that used to be her commitment. And she like gave it to me and like, you know, like it was a gift, but it was like, it was like a, a pain in the ass kind of gift kind of thing. You know what I mean? Cause then I had to do it. And I was like, she's like, Oh, I think you could, you could use, why don't you take over this sweetie? You know, like that kind of thing. And I was like, Oh my God. But it like, again, in hindsight, it was the best thing ever. And just so like a lot of service, I think for like, think for like a good 10, 15 years, like my, you know, it was just me and AA and going to meetings, you know, and, you know, all going to meetings all the time and just being part of the pack. And I like, Again, I think I, I think obviously when you're sober, like you don't love it, but in hindsight, I loved it. You know what I mean? Because when coming into into that program um, or coming into AA, I really felt like everything was so painful. You know what I mean? Like you're like you don't have a sore, but you have a sore, and like pus is oozing out of it, and life is just hard. You know, and that's what I felt like, and I had to, you know work the steps, find a God in my understanding. I always believed in God. So that wasn't like hard for me living the life that I had and being a tweaker and all the, just the terrible places that I put myself in with, you know, people cooking drugs and guns and just all this stuff. It was like, you know, really, it was just so conflicting with my, it was just so conflicting. You know, I, again, the double life, like, being a cheerleader and getting straight A's in school and then having this other side of me that was just like so dark and everything. And little by little, like working steps and being honest with my sponsor and getting on my knees and asking, you know, God to like grant me serenity and just keep me sober for today. Those things like little by little helped. And um, I always wanted a family um, about, I think when I was about, Maybe 10 years sober, maybe a little, I don't, maybe 10 years sober. You know, I had a, um, a relationship with a normal guy, like a normie. And um, he was a great guy, um, but he already had kids and didn't want to have any kids. And I really um, wanted to by, you know, by now I had some years under my belt. And I met uh, somebody at work, ended up having um, my son. Um, I'd always wanted, you know, to have a baby and I had to have fertility treatments because I was already, the time I started trying to have a baby, I was like 35, I think, and had to have all these tests because I wasn't getting pregnant. And I really was scared that I was never going to be able to have a family. 
And it took me, I think, like six years or five years before I was able to get pregnant with fertility treatments. And again, another blessing in sobriety. And my, um, so my, my son is now 10 years old. He's never seen me drink or use a drug. About in 2017, I moved to Las Vegas because my husband got a job here and he wanted to be somewhere that wasn't a democratic state and, uh, or maybe not a Democrat. He just wanted, he doesn't like tax state taxes and all kinds of other things. So he's like, let's move to Vegas. It's close to California, but not, you know, right there. And if you get a big house or, you know, things like that. So uh, I moved here since I've moved here, you know, I've, um, I've been like kind of, um, in and out of, going to meetings here, like, I know where, you know, the Green Valley Ranch Club is the only AA place I've ever been to in Las Vegas. I know there's many other places, but I like that place, and it's nice, and so I've been there many times, but I have kind of struggled with, like, building the bonds that I have had in Long Beach in California. Um, I was talking to one of my um, AA friends the other day, and um, he lives in Texas, and there's just, I don't know, you know, when you get sober and you spent so much time with people and you have all these, like, this, these experiences with them, you know, like going camping and renting a, you know, a cabin with all these AA people and being at meetings and people going to funerals because people in AA, you know, someone shot themselves or they relapsed and they overdosed and all these things, you know, that you, it's like I have these people who, I grew up with an AA and, and they're still my, my friends. Like we keep in contact on Facebook and it's amazing. It's amazing to see like my friends, like one of my guys that I got so we used to go to like meetings in Seal Beach is like going to getting his PhD. Like it's like if you saw us before and you saw us now, I don't know. It's like, it's like this miracle, you know, this miracle that happened and all because, you know, we, um, read the big book and took some good orderly direction and um, trained our feet not to go to the bar and not to put, you know, to fill our soul with something that that we thought was going to make us feel better when it just, when it didn't, you know what I mean? I mean, it did for a while, I suppose it it worked when it worked, but then it stopped, you know what I mean? It stopped working. And, um, and today, um, so even though I've been, you know, here for five years, like I said, I've been, I go to the meetings here and there. Um, I was talking to one of my, um, one of my AA friends the other day that called me just out of the blue, probably haven't talked to them for five years. And he's like, isn't your birthday on, you know, January 1st? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you remember, you know? And, and he's like, go to a meeting, you know, you're, you're 20 years sober. Now you have something to share that you're, because you know, you're like an old timer, you got, you can share with the new people. And so I told him, um, I would go cause I haven't been for a while. And, and that's the honest truth. But, um, every day to, um, stay sober, like one thing that, um, they did, you know, that I, that I, I guess I, I still do is, um, when I go to bed at night, I thank God for my sobriety. And when I wake up but and I, I thank for my sobriety for keeping me sober that day. And I ask him to please keep me sober tomorrow. 
And I do that every day. And I, the other thing I do to kind of keep sober, like this, you know, New Year's just passed and New Year's is my AA birthday, but my husband um, went to a party that of some of our friends here in Vegas. And I, he's like, well, do you want to come? Do you not want to come? But again, I have my son, right? He's 10 and this is Vegas. And so I am like responsible now, right? I'm a, 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 a present mother. And so we went to the party for like an hour, like at 7.30. I were there till maybe 8.30. And then I drove my son home and um, went to In-N-Out and then came home and were safe in the house. And part of that was because I, you know, they tell you like, if you don't want to get a haircut, don't sit in the barbershop. So if I don't want to drink, don't be where there's, you know, drinking going to be when, you know, and, and so that's what I had to do to kind of protect my sobriety. And those are decisions that I get to make today. Um, but I still kind of watch out for myself, you know, because I, I know that, you know, the right time, the right moment, the right feeling, whatever those things kind of happen together, that it, it could happen to anybody, right? You could, you could drink, and I'm not immune to like picking up a drink. People who have many years drink all the time. So I made a choice to come home and to be safe and to, because I, you know, I knew if I was home with my son, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink. So I still do, do those things. When I got sober, I remember my sponsor telling me, you know, when there's family parties, I was like, oh, someone's getting married. What am I going to do? There's going to be alcohol there. And she said, if you need to go someplace where there's going to be drinking or things like that, you need to take somebody sober with you. I'm like, she goes, not a friend, somebody who's sober in the program has to go with you. And you always need to take your car so that you can get out. And I was like, okay, so that's another thing I did. Like when I was new, you know, sober, I was like, always, you know, I wouldn't go to any family parties unless I had somebody sober with me if I knew there was going to be drinking because I couldn't trust myself. But all these little tidbits of knowledge that you get in sobriety one day at a time kind of helped me heal. You know, I have worked the steps. Um, I still have my list that I wrote of people who are on it that I still need to kind of make an amends to. It's in my big book. I have the same big book that I had um, since I got sober. It's falling apart at the seams and it has lots of highlights in there and it's got dates in there because my sponsor, when we used to um, meet at her house every Wednesday, you know, when something would stick out in your head or you learn something, she would put a date in her book of and underline it or something. So I did the same thing, right? And so I have a, a big book that looks very well used. And yesterday I was feeling, uh, I just got to tell you, like these, you know, um, these thoughts, right, that come into your head. I was thinking about, I was washing the dishes and I was thinking about what I, something that I didn't have, right? I was kind of upset about my husband because he didn't do something. And I was like, I need to go to a meeting because I'm not looking at what I have and I'm looking at what I don't have. And that's a bad place to be, right? It's like, instead of being like grateful, I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I'm glad that my friend called, you know, called me the other day and told me, go, go, go back, take a meet, you know, go to a meeting. You need to be there for the other people. And then I got the blessing of having to do this convert meeting request today just happened to be right around my AA birthday that it worked out. But I feel uh, 
I feel grateful. Um, 20 years is a long time without a drink, and I still have a healthy fear of um, drinking because, and and really, like, anytime, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like, sometimes I think a drink might, like, a drink sounds good to me, you know what I mean? And I think that's the, the, the curse of every alcoholic, like, that's what gets us, right? That's what takes us out. Like, it sounds like it it might be okay now that I've been sober for this long or things like that. And then I, and then I think to myself, like, no, that's that little monster in your head trying to get you back to where you were. And it's subtle, right. And it'll, it'll take you out. And so I think like, you know, like, what if, what if I'm wrong? You know what I mean? What if I can't take a drink like a normal person, which is probably true like right that's what they teach us but my head tries to tell me that I can take a drink like a normal person and so I'm like no no don't you know don't do it don't do it don't do it like so again that that fear of of I don't know like falling and and uh you know this is Vegas too I live in Vegas I'm like god knows what like drugs it's all I mean you can it's I'm like, no way. I mean, I'd find, I'd find drugs in a heartbeat and then I'd be like gone, you know what I mean? Out of control, speeding out of control. So I try to remember, again, it's not the last drink that gets you, it's the first drink and just don't do it. So that's where I'm at today. Um, that's my story. I am very, very, very grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous for the life that I have today. Like, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable. Very, you know, I feel, um, I feel blessed and I feel like lucky and I feel normal. <laughs> like, again, you know, I have a, a beautiful house, a beautiful, like, husband who loves me. My son has never seen me drink. Um, I'm probably not as fun and crazy as I used to be, but I am dependable. I do what I say. Um, I try to be honest in all my affairs. I put the cart back at the grocery store, even when I don't want to, because my sponsor told me it's the little things that count, you know what I mean? Like do the right thing. I try to be honest and, um, not steal anything. Cause I used to steal things. I don't know why, but just because of the excitement, I try to put my seatbelt on so I could be safe. I mean, this is just ridiculous things where before I would have been careless and not done any of those things. But um, I care today about um, my relationships, what I can give back to others and to my community and to my family and um, just trying to live in God's will for me and be a service to others. So that's all I got. Thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you, Gina. Happy birthday. 20 Thank you. whole years. That's a lot. <coughs> yes. And you alluded to more than once that you've been a little bit away from the program since you've moved, which I hear over the years is really hard to do, to move in the program. Yes. So do you have any sort of support in person there in Las Vegas from the program? Uh, you know what? I, I guess the support would be like at the meeting, you know, and I know people there. Um, I have phone numbers in my, 
in my phone from people that I know. And so like today there's a meeting at um, 530. It's called the Beer 30 meeting here. Meetings in Vegas are only an hour long. And so I thought that today would be a good day because I'm doing this um, right now that I should, I got to go back to go to a meeting. And it's not like I haven't gone to any meetings, but you know what I mean? Like, again, I was probably went to more when I barely moved here. Um, and I was going like every week and then I had some sponsors and, you know, so I was kind of doing it for a while, but I would say probably the last, uh, probably the last, probably COVID the last made it hard. Yeah. It's been, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been and but I do need, you know, I need to, I need to go back and it's just, and I, I don't know what it is. Like I said, I just feel like the connection is it's like when I even, you know, even when I go back to Long Beach, if I haven't been there for years, I walk into the room there and I feel like those are my people. You know what I mean? Cause I, I know them cause I grew up with them. So, but I need to, I, it doesn't matter. I still need to go to a meeting here. So, well, an old timer gave me a suggestion and that was to get a service commitment immediately. And that is the quickest way, especially if they have a greeter uh, at whatever, yeah. I don't go to large meetings now, but yeah. like you got to get a service commitment and um, and then you're kind of forced to to yes. embed yourself into the the new herd. Yes. Easier said than done. But yes. I liked the joy in your voice when you were talking about that sponsorship in the beginning. I think it might have been your second sponsor where you had to yes. go to her, meet her every yes. Friday and go to her, you know, every monthly meeting yes. at her house. Like that, you had joy in your voice, and it sounded like you don't have that right now. Yes. I love, you know, I, if I ever go back to California, that's where I will be with her. Like I miss, I miss her so much and I love her so much. And, you know, I still like, I feel like, um, I, I, you know, I do kind of have like a, I guess my, my, um, my sobriety sister, I have a sobriety sister named Melissa who was, um, she's probably like two years more sober than I am. And we had the same sponsor for many years. So when I have things that I need to talk over with somebody or that I call Melissa now. She's like my, my, um, my, I mean, she's like my unnamed sponsor, but when I do have something that I'm struggling with, or I need to run some, buy something, I call her. Um, and that's probably because, um, Robin isn't always available, but I do call her, you know, occasionally and just to check in or say hi and see if I have to, if I want to talk to somebody and she'll call me back. But, um, I just, my, she was just so, um, I don't know, it's just so like important to like, like, like I love my mother, but if there's anybody else I love equally as, you know, like I love dearly because just of the kind of person that she is and how much she helped me, it would be my, my sponsor. That's Robin. And now that you have 20 years, you can be that for other young ladies there in Las Vegas. I know. You have the example. I think, I think I get nervous sometimes. Like, I mean, I've tried, like, here, I've had a few sponsors here in Vegas, um, but they, you know, and it's, um, they end up drinking or they don't come or, you know, different things. And so it's like, I, I don't know, but I don't know if it's just like building and maybe just being there all the time. Like when I'm, and maybe, maybe I'll have that same thing because when I met Robin, she had like 20 years, so 20 years of sobriety and now I have 20 years sobriety. So maybe I will carry that spirit that will attract people who want what I have or something. If I go to meetings. 
it's like a new relationship. You know, I'm 42 and I have, I, to create a new friendship as an adult can be awkward and it takes time. You disclose a little bit of information about each other and then you, a little more vulnerability and it it takes time to develop, oh, I'm a part of this group now. Um, Uh But I mean, what better group to be a part of than Alcoholics Anonymous? For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.